This audio is a presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com. If you'd please turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, we will be looking at the last two verses of chapter 26 and then the first 40 verses of chapter 27. Genesis 26, 34 through 27, 40. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. When Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, to him, and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it into me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make me savory food, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me, <clears throat> bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. And you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, 
And he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, Are you ready, my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game, so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing, and blessed him, and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from hunting. He also made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate of it. I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother come with your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. He said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me. Me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of the heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. This is the word of the Lord. A blessed in our hearing. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word today, we recognize that this is a dark chapter in the history of your people, the history of our covenant family. We recognize that uh, there are many deceptions and lies and sinful actions here. And yet even in this text, we see your covenant faithfulness and your uh, will and your power and ability to work out your covenantal purposes uh, for the good of your people and for your own glory. And so I pray that you would shine these truths forth for us today, 
even pointing us to your son, Jesus Christ, to whom all the covenant promises and blessings ultimately point. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Last week we saw in the first part, most of Genesis 26, how Isaac carried on the legacy of Abraham, how God continued to show his covenant faithfulness to Isaac. Of course, it wasn't always because Isaac was doing the things he should have been doing. In the midst of all of that, we saw how Isaac committed an act of treachery against King Abimelech, replicating his father's recurring sin of trying to pass off his wife as his sister and not his wife. Isaac did that himself. Now, in a family where deception and fraud are commonly practiced, especially on such important matters as these, deception and fraud become easier. They become routine. They become normal. Once there is a precedent for lying to get what one wants or uh, sinning against God to make things easier on this earth, it's hard to go back to living with integrity. This is why integrity is so valuable and so important. It's the sort of thing that once it's lost, maybe it can be recovered, but it's difficult and it takes a long time and it's never completely restored. Well, Isaac and Abraham both showed problems with integrity. At times they would turn to lies and deception and fraud to protect themselves and enrich themselves. So it is not all that surprising when we come to the third generation, Jacob and Esau, we still see this lack of integrity, and we especially see it on the part of Jacob. Now, Jacob's story in Genesis will be a very long, very difficult, even heartbreaking story of God's sanctification in his life. He doesn't start out in a good place. He doesn't start out doing the right things. Even if he does do the right thing, at times he does it in the wrong way. Now, God will work in his heart. He will forge Jacob into a man of integrity, the patriarch of his people. But he will do so through many trials and much sorrow and even much of the consequences of Jacob's own sin. But we start very much at the bottom of that mountain here this week. So we're going to look at this text today in three points. First, we see stubbornness. That's the last two verses of chapter 26 through verse 4 of chapter 27. We see stubbornness in two cases, on the part of Esau in his, marriage, his marriages, and then we also see stubbornness for Isaac failing to heed what God has said, what God has decreed. Second, we see subterfuge or you might prefer subversion, in verses 5 through 29. We see that Jacob and his mother Rebekah resort to deception to get what they want. And third and finally, we see sorrow in verses 30 through 40. Because of this web of stubbornness and deception, there are sad and difficult consequences. So again, we have stubbornness, subterfuge, and sorrow. So first we see stubbornness in chapter 26, verse 34, through chapter 27, verse 4. As I mentioned, we actually see stubbornness in two cases. 
In those final verses of chapter 26, we see a stubborn and rebellious act on the part of Esau. When Esau was 40 years old, so the same age that Isaac was when he took Rebekah as his wife, Esau takes for himself two wives, this Judith and Basemath. They are Hittites. They are Canaanites, probably of the same tribe of Heth, from which Abraham bought the ancestral tomb for his family. Now Esau doing this is a problem for two major reasons. First, as we've seen before in Genesis, we again have a man taking multiple wives. This is never a situation that brings good things. God designed marriage to be a lifelong covenantal bond between one man and one woman. Every time this pattern is broken, it produces bitter fruit. We saw that with Abraham. We'll see it again later with Jacob. And here we see it with Esau. But second, Esau's actions are a problem because these wives are Canaanites. This was something forbidden. Abraham realized that marrying from the local idolatrous pagans would be a corrupting influence. This is why Abraham sought a wife for Isaac from among his family in the east. But Isaac doesn't seem to have made the same provision for Esau. He should have been preparing his sons to marry properly, but 40 years into Esau's life, and there is nothing to show. Now, in a certain sense, this is a failure of parental oversight and household management on Isaac's part. But it also shows a failure on the part of Esau to properly regard God's promises, but also God's will for how his people ought to live. We already know from before that Esau despised his birthright. God purposed to bless Jacob, but it seems that Esau is more than willing to play his part insofar as he is a man led by his base desires away from God. He is led by them to despise the blessings of God. It was back in chapter 25 that Esau was led by his base desire for food to despise his birthright and sell it to Jacob. And now we see he is led by his base desire for women to take wives from where he should not. Esau is persisting in stubborn rebellion against God that will define his future and the future of all his descendants. They will belong to the city of man and not to the city of God. And we see the bitter fruits. We see that these wives are a grief of mind. They are an affliction. They are a problem for Esau's parents, Isaac and Rebekah. So we have here all this strong evidence that Esau is rebelling against God. He despises the promises of God. He is not a man of faith. And yet Isaac seems to want to deny this. He seems to want to resist this fact that Esau is clearly heading in the wrong direction, that he is not conducting himself according to faith, and that he is, in fact, outside of the household of faith. Now, Isaac could have and should have known about the oracle that God gave to Rebekah when she was pregnant about the twins, that the older would serve the younger. He also should have known about the transaction between Jacob and Esau over that bowl of soup and the birthright. It was not a wise transaction, but it was a valid transaction. 
Yet as we come to chapter 27, we see that despite all of this, Isaac himself is stubborn. He is determined to ignore all of these things going on and bless Esau with the blessing of the firstborn instead of Jacob. Now we see at this point that Isaac is old. He would have been over 100 years old. Remember, he was 60 when Jacob and Esau were born, and then Esau was 40 at the time of the marriages. So what is fascinating is that Isaac thinks that he is about to die. Others seem to believe that too. And yet he's actually not going to die for quite a while. He will live many more years. He will live until after Jacob returns from his exile in the east. And even after the death of Rachel, Jacob's wife, it's only after all of that that Isaac's death is finally recorded. And yet for whatever reason at this point, Isaac believes his death is imminent, and so he needs to get his household in order. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to get one's household in order, even if one is not immediately planning to die. The problem is the way that Isaac goes about it. He is disregarding God's will in the matter, as well as these developments in his family. Isaac played favorites. Isaac loved Esau. Remember that Esau was the manly man. He hunted game. He did other manly things. And so Isaac took a particular liking to Esau. And Jacob, he was the mild man who liked to spend time in the tent with his mom. Isaac seems content as he is getting his earthly affairs in order to disregard what has been revealed and what has been done concerning God's will for his family. Now in verse 1 of chapter 27, we learn that Isaac's vision is failing, and maybe this is why he thought his death was near. So he calls to Esau and asks him to go hunting and bring him some game to make the food that he loves from it. Again, we see this favoritism, how Isaac has... Uh, favored Esau, and that they have this special kind of relationship. They have these particular things that just the two of them share. This is what the boys have always done. They go out and they hunt and they eat meat. He wants Esau to do this, and they'll have this last meal, and then Isaac will bless Esau before he dies. But in doing this, Isaac has decided to oppose what has been revealed as God's will. There is only one blessing to give that really matters, the blessing of the firstborn, the blessing that encompasses God's covenant blessings and promises, the blessings that God gave to Abraham and Abraham gave to Isaac, and Isaac was now prepared to give to Esau. Now God has purposed this is going to go to Jacob. And despite Isaac's stubbornness, Jacob will get it. Of course, he will get it through some sinful and ugly means. And this brings us to our second point. After this stubbornness, we come to subterfuge or subversion in verses 5 through 29. Rebecca overhears this conversation that Isaac has with Esau. She knows what God revealed to her, that the blessing is supposed to go to Jacob. Now, the means by which this will be accomplished are not good, they're not honorable, they are quite deceitful and sinful. But through them, God's will will be accomplished. Jacob will obtain the blessing. 
not to try to justify any of these evil actions, but this was the means, it seems, that God had chosen to let Jacob receive that blessing. Perhaps it was the only way Isaac would have not been persuaded by any other means. So Rebekah concocts this scheme. Basically, Jacob will pretend to be Esau to blind Isaac and receive the blessing in his place. Rebekah reports to Jacob that Isaac purposes to bless Esau, and so they need to prepare. They need to carry out this plot. So she has Jacob bring her two young goats, and she will prepare her best imitation of Esau's cooking, that food that Isaac loves. Now in verse 11, we see that Jacob, at least in theory, approves of this plot, this stealing the blessing by deception. But he does point out a potential practical problem. Just as was described when the two boys were born, Esau remains very hairy, and Jacob is not. Since Isaac is blind, he is now dependent on feeling and hearing and smelling for figuring out who he is talking to. So Jacob doesn't want to go in there and get caught and receive a curse from his father instead of a blessing. He wants the blessing of the firstborn. He needs the blessing of the firstborn. This plot is toward that end, but he sees potential hurdles. Now, Rebecca seems less concerned. She tells Jacob that any curse will be on her, but that he should listen to her. Now, maybe it tells you something about the situation between Isaac and Rebekah, that Rebekah is willing to bear any curse from her husband and essentially shrug it off. But Jacob does what Rebekah tells her, tells him to do. He goes and gets the goats, and Rebekah makes the meal. Now, all of this is going on, and the clock is ticking. Esau is hunting. Maybe he succeeds, and he could come home at any time. Though providentially, because this is ultimately in accord with God's will, Esau will not come back in time. As to Jacob's concern about Esau being hairy and Jacob not being hairy, Rebekah goes and fetches some of Esau's clothes. This would feel familiar and also smell like Esau in the places he's gone and the things that he's done. And then as to the hair issue, she attaches part of these goat skins to Jacob's hands and neck the parts that Isaac would feel to see who he was talking to. Now, at first glance, it does not sound like this plot ought to work. It is rather elaborate. Some of the steps in it seem rather fantastical. Is Isaac really going to mistake goat skin for Esau's natural hair? Maybe Rebecca and Jacob are presuming that the aged Isaac, who believes he's about to die, isn't the sharpest he has ever been, so maybe he won't be as thorough and skeptical as he should have been. So Jacob gets dressed up like Esau, and then the food and the bread are ready, and so he goes in. And he explicitly lies to Isaac in verse 19. He says that he is Esau. He doesn't even try to mitigate the dishonesty of this plot. Isaac is suspicious suspicious at first on one point. He recognizes that this all happened fairly quickly. He He wonders how, allegedly, Esau could have got and prepared this game so quickly. He 
had some familiarity with Esau's hunting patterns and had expected him to be gone longer. So what does Jacob do to bury this suspicion? He says, because the Lord your God brought it to me. So Jacob here invokes the name of the Lord, but he does so in vain. He does it in the interest of falsehood. Now also note that Jacob says, your God. He doesn't say, my God, or our God. Is he trying to mimic Esau and Esau's clear unbelief and disregard for the things of God? Or is Jacob revealing at this point more than he intends that at this point in his life, he does not have faith? He's certainly not living and acting according to faith. God had declared that Jacob would receive the promised blessings. God would have done what was necessary to accomplish this apart from sin and deception. But Jacob deceives anyway. We even see him blaspheme God's name, falsely invoke God's name in an attempt to sell this deception. But Isaac is still a little suspicious. He asked Jacob to come so that he might feel him. It seems that Isaac notices Jacob's voice. Jacob had needed to work a little harder on his Esau impersonation. But Isaac feels Jacob and feels the skins, and that is enough to persuade him that this is, in fact, Esau. So they proceed on to the next stage. Isaac asks Jacob to bring him the food, and he does, and the food is satisfactory. It's a good enough imitation of what Esau would make. Then he also drinks wine, perhaps further impairing his judgment. Now, whether sincere or still trying to dispel some suspicion, Isaac asks Jacob to come close so that he may kiss him. And he's paying attention to the smell, and this is where the clothing mattered. It would have smelled like Esau in the places he had been. This was the ancient world. There were no washing machines and dryers and clothing didn't get cleaned as much or as well. So it was more likely to bear the distinctive smell of the person who wore it. So Isaac smells a recognizable smell of Esau. And that is enough. He's seen enough. He believes it's Esau and he proceeds to the blessing. And in the blessing, he acknowledges what he believes that this is Esau. He says, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. This is not because Jacob has spent any time in the field. Remember, he's that mild man who has dwelt in the tents with his mother. Now what is given is an unrestrained and unreserved blessing. The one that Isaac had intended for Esau. It is the blessing of the firstborn. It is the blessing that per God's revelation was supposed to go to Jacob, but Isaac was bent on disobeying and giving it to Esau. This was a blessing that conferred the status of head of household, that placed all the other household as servants under the recipient of the blessing. And Isaac continues, Therefore God may give you of the dew of heaven of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. He wants the son he is currently blessing to have the best of everything. And in verse 29, we get the really important part. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, 
and let your mother's sons bow down to you. And this is where it is clear that Isaac's will was contrary to God's will. Isaac wanted Esau to rule over his household, to rule over Rebekah and Jacob. This despite what God had said back in chapter 25, verse 23. The older shall serve the younger. But though man purposes and plots against God's will, God's will prevails. For though Isaac does not know it, he has just conferred the office of head of the household onto Jacob. God's word will come to pass despite any attempts to the contrary. And the final part of this blessing is the conveyance of the Abrahamic blessing of the covenant promises. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. This was God's word to Abraham when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans in chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So these promises given to Abraham and passed on to Isaac are now passed on to Jacob, even if Isaac does not realize that it is Jacob. God's purposes have been fulfilled even despite and even through human sin and opposition. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that it's all right and everything's going to be okay now. Far from it. This brings us to our final point. After the stubbornness and subterfuge, we come to sorrow in verses 30 through 40. While this deception is used to accomplish God's ultimate purposes, it is going to tear this family apart even worse than it already is. Eventually, Esau does come back from the field with the game he went out to hunt. Happens to be right after Jacob had gone in and received the blessing and left. Esau makes the food and comes into Isaac and tells him to eat so that he might be blessed. And he would have been shocked to hear Isaac ask, Who are you? Well, Dad, you were expecting me, he might have thought. He says, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. And this is where Isaac realizes that all is not well. We see that he trembled exceedingly. He had a visceral, physical response as he realized what was going on. He has blessed someone other than the one he intended to bless, and this is a solemn, permanent, covenantal act from which there is no going back. There's no do-overs, there's no take-backs on the covenant blessing. Isaac realizes this as he describes to Esau, the one who came before, I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. The matter is now out of Isaac's hands. Esau is suddenly angry and desperate. We see he lets out this great and bitter cry, Bless me, me also, O my father. But Isaac can't do that. He knows he can't do that. He now realizes that he has blessed Jacob, and he says, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau is furious. He lashes out about Jacob. Is he not rightly named Jacob? The Hebrew root for Jacob is very similar to the verb for deception. Jacob is in a certain way living up to his name. 
Esau acknowledged that Jacob has supplanted him. He has subverted him, gotten the better of him twice. So it was in this matter of the birthright and then this matter of the blessing. Now, it is a bit funny, given what we have seen of Esau, that he is now suddenly so concerned with the blessing. Up to this point, he has shown no regard for the blessings of God. Esau was probably interested in the blessing not because of God, who he clearly has no regard for, but because of the wealth and the power and the head of household status that the covenant blessing would have conveyed. I mean, Esau thought so little of his birthright, he sold it for soup. He thought so little of God's covenant and God's law and the will of his parents that he married among the pagan Canaanites. Married twice, in fact, among the Canaanites. But now all of a sudden, he is very concerned with these covenant blessings and how he will not receive them. For it is true, Jacob has swindled them. He has taken them by fraud and deception. Jacob himself has not trusted in God's promises. He has instead resorted to his own desperate schemes to get what he wants. So Esau wants to know if Isaac has any blessing left for him. Isaac admits, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? In other words, there's not much left. Jacob is the head of the house now, and Esau is his servant. Esau is so greatly distressed at this that He begs for a blessing, and he weeps. Now Isaac does the best he can, giving a much lesser and weaker blessing to Esau. He says, Behold, your dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. Although Jacob will inherit the estate, the property, Esau will make his living from the earth. Of course, it will not always be by honest or pleasant means. Isaac continues, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. In other words, Esau will be a man of aggression and violence, but he will be Jacob's servant. And yet he will find some relief. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Though Jacob is now the man of the house, Esau will not readily or happily live under it. In fact, in our next passage, Esau will in a murderous rage drive Jacob into exile. Jacob will be gone for many years, and while Jacob is gone, Esau will be free of him. He will himself grow his family and property. Of course, again, this is outside of the city of God. Ultimately and spiritually, Esau has no hope. This hopeless state of lacking material blessings reflects the spiritual reality of Esau, who lacks spiritual blessings. He is impoverished in the most important of ways. He has despised the blessings of God, and so he will not receive them. So what are we to make of all of this? This story is not your typical Bible story. We often hear these stories of history from the Bible and of figures from the Bible, and there's somebody who does something good, and we look at the text and we say, okay, that's somebody we should try to emulate. 
There's no good guys in this story. This is a story of awful people doing awful things. There's no heroes. There's nobody that we should try to follow and imitate. But what does that tell us? These are awful people and they do awful things, and yet some of them were God's chosen people. Some of them were those who were blessed by God with his covenant promises, the hope of life in this earth and the life to come, though they were awful people doing awful things. Now there is warning that comes with this. See, Esau despised the blessings of God. He didn't care about God. He didn't care about God's word, God's will. We see multiple instances just in this passage of how that was so. God's blessings are frequently put before us. They're put before you every Sunday as you come here. You hear the word. You hear the gospel of grace. Jesus Christ offers eternal life, eternal blessedness, eternal inheritance. Better blessings than even Jacob received. Jesus is the son of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to whom all these covenant promises ultimately point. And all of us are sinners. We at various times and in various ways are the awful people doing awful things like we see in this story. I mean, look at Jacob. God's chosen son. The godly son of the godly line. He will be the father of all Israel. His name will be changed to Israel to reflect this. And yet he's engaging in such treachery and blasphemy. God saves sinners. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life none of us have, and he died the death that we deserve. And those who repent of their sins and believe in him receive the blessings of the covenant of grace, eternal life, eternal salvation, eternal inheritance, an eternal family. All the blessings of Jacob and greater things still. And the God who justifies us, who saves us, also sanctifies us. As I mentioned, Jacob starts in a pretty bad place here. By the time we're done, God will have sanctified him, molded him into a man of faith, into the father of the faithful, because God saves sinners. So the question is this, do you have Christ today? Do you receive and rest upon Christ as he is offered in the gospel? Or are you like Esau, despising the blessings of God, separated, estranged, and without hope? Turn to Christ today. Repent of your sins. Believe upon Christ and live. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Though we recognize it is a difficult word, we see in it much sin and faithlessness and treachery, even among those who are your children. We recognize that sin is so pervasive in this world and even in our own hearts and our own lives that we are constantly at war with it. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would renew our minds and our wills, that we would live lives pleasing to you, that 
We would not desire to live according to the world. I pray most of all that all of the people gathered here today would receive and rest upon Christ as he is offered in the gospel, and that those who belong to you here would be strengthened in their faith and would be fitted for eternity with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.